0: from bbc science focus this is instant genius a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form i'm daniel bennett the magazine's editor and today we're talking about jupiter in opposition which is essentially the best time of year to go outside and see the godfather of the solar system with your very own eyes and some help from a pair of binoculars I'm joined by Dr. Jonathan Nichols, an associate professor at the University of Leicester, who studies Jupiter's auroras. He does this primarily using the Hubble telescope and data from the Juno spacecraft. And more recently, he was involved in putting together the first stunning images of Jupiter produced by the James Webb telescope. He's here to explain exactly what Jupiter being in opposition means, why it's significant for astronomers and stargazers, and he's going to explain all the incredible new science coming out of the various missions studying Jupiter right now. So, so the reason why we're we're uh, the excuse I've I've found to sort of chat today is um, people might have seen in the news that Jupiter uh, will be in what's said to be will be in opposition on Monday. So. Can you explain to listeners what that means and why it's significant?
1: Yeah, well, they might have seen Jupiter in more than just the news. They might have actually seen it in the sky if it's been clear where they are. Uh, And the reason is that opposition is one of the best times to observe the planets. What it means is, is that Jupiter, or any planet that's in opposition, is on the opposite side of the Earth to the Sun. So from our vantage point on the Earth, what we're seeing is a disk of the planet that's fully illuminated by the sun. You can see the whole uh, circular disk of the planet, uh, and that means that we're getting the most light back from the planet to us. So it appears very bright in the sky. But there's a second effect, which is that that's the time when the planet is closest to the Earth. So not only is it reflecting uh, from the whole of the disk, the planet is actually uh, as close as it's going to get, really. So uh, that means that it appears very large in the sky as well. And so uh, that means that, for example, Jupiter is is really quite bright at the moment. In fact, um my uh, my dad was sitting in his armchair the other day and he uh, pointed out this very bright light in the sky and he wanted to know what it was. And of course, it's Jupiter, which is one of the brightest objects in the sky when it's opposition. So maybe people who even aren't into astronomy are noticing this object in the sky and, and it's a really good uh, opportunity for getting people interested in what's uh, in the heavens and uh, learn a little bit about the planets. So it's it's important for 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 the wider community as well as as astronomers.
0: It reminds me of my mum, who I remember a couple of years back said that she could, well, maybe more than a couple of years, but said that she could see Jupiter. And I was like, wait, are you okay, mum? <laughs> yeah. And then I realised she'd been listening to the radio and, it and told her that you know, Jupiter was in our position and oh, at least it was very bright in the sky that night. And uh, it is funny when you're... Your family sort of bring up your own interests back.
1: <laughs> back yeah, me. yeah, yeah. It's quite startling because it really can be quite bright, and uh, that along with Venus, I think, uh, often leads leads people to uh, to wonder what's up in the sky. Um, but it's not just um, of passing interest. It's actually the best time for professional astronomers to look at the planets as well, because they're, they're uh, they f- they fill up more of the telescope's field of view, so you get a better. Resolution on the planet, as well as it being brightest, you're collecting as many photons as you're going to collect. Uh, it also, uh, you know, gives you a nice, big, very uh, highly resolved image of the planet. So, so it is actually very important. And when we're scheduling. Uh, observations with, with big telescopes, like, for example, the Hubble Space Telescope or Keck or any of these big professional observatories, we tend to try and cluster them as near to opposition as we can for that reason. Now, obviously, it's not always possible for us to do that, in fact, um, you know, if you're wanting to observe the planet when Juno is orbiting and it's at certain position, you might not always be able to observe at opposition, and uh, and you you sort of have to take the fact that your view isn't going to be as good. But if you do happen to be observing at this time where well, you can make it, then that's that's the time when all the world telescopes sort of tend to be trained on Jupiter.
0: And how often does uh, Jupiter? Uh, get into this position
1: it's a yearly event Um, it changes slightly every every year but it's um it's effectively when the 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 earth jupiter and the sun are all in a line and of course as as the earth orbits the sun uh that occurs once a year but as jupiter is also orbiting the sun at a, a slower Rate than the Earth is that tends to slip every year, so it gets it gets um, later and later every year. But at the moment, of course, it's um, it's around about this time, uh, and it's it's a great time to look up at uh, and see Jupiter in the sky. Not least because the the skies are getting darker again. You know, as we're entering the the um, the winter period when the skies are getting darker earlier. Not only is Jupiter shining brightly, but also uh, the skies are. are um, darker in general. So it really is a good time to get outside and look at Jupiter and I'd also recommend uh, people taking the binoculars out and looking at Jupiter because um, not only is the the disk, you know, the the disk of Jupiter shining very brightly, but you if you get a pair of binoculars, any normal pair of binoculars, although you don't need an astronomical telescope, point it up at Jupiter uh, and you'll be able to see four faint pin- pinpricks of light surrounding jupiter and it's fun to uh, to look at jupiter over the next few days and see these these points of light changing position and uh, those are the four Galilean moons so-called after Galileo Galileo who discovered them using his telescope he was the first person to point the telescope up at Jupiter and discover these objects and it have has extremely prominent importance in terms of discovering the fact that the earth is not the center of the universe etc etc so it, it's uh, it's very important historically um for a, from a from an astronomy perspective but also it's just fun to do.
0: Yeah, and there's we've got some instructions on how you can find Jupiter on the site, but it, it's really easy now with um, those, those night sky apps, right, that you can just point them upwards, figure out where it is, then point your binoculars in the same direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it will tell you which moon it is that you're looking at, and and it's also fun to see how those different moons change at different rates. So Io, the innermost Galilean moon, is orbiting really quickly, and it zips around Jupiter, and its position changes very quickly whereas the other ones uh move slower as they move out from jupiter now obviously you're at, from our viewpoint the, the the pinprick of light that's closest to jupiter isn't necessarily io you know it could be just just our viewpoint but the way to to determine that is you either look on your app and find out what it was but but a, perhaps a more fun way of finding out is to time how long it takes to, for it to move around and see which one is moving quickly quickest
0: Okay, and so Jupiter was also in the news recently when the James Webb Space Telescope gave us an incredible new view of the planet um, and its auroras, which you study. Now, I hadn't realised that you know until the announcement was made that Leicester University was going to be kind of quite heavily involved in the production of that image. I just wondered what that that was like to kind of, I suppose, see what you study and resolve it in a kind of new
1: light. Yeah, well, lester has been involved with uh, James Webb all the way through. We, we constructed part of one of the instruments. This particular set of observations is really a test to find out whether we can actually point James Webb at Jupiter. You know, James Webb is an incredibly complex observatory, but it's a challenge to observe something like Jupiter, which is very big, it's very bright, it's moving, it's rotating, it's not an easy object to study, especially if you've got an instrument which is really designed to be looking at the faintest objects in the universe. To point it at something big and bright and bulky like Jupiter uh, is is not so easy. So these, these were a test to see if we could observe Jupiter with instruments with exquisite sensitivity, tiny fields of view. And it wasn't obvious as to whether it was going to work. And it worked, I think, far better than anybody actually uh, was, was daring to believe. I remember when these images were made available on the, um, on the server, the NASA server, where these, these images get, uh, get stored. I was at a conference called the Magnetospheres of the Outer Planets, where we specifically look at the, the, the auroras of Jupiter and think about it in great detail. And it was amazing because we didn't know whether we'd actually be able to see it at all. So we, we put these images up on the, uh, on the, the display in the, in the conference, and there was a great big cheer that went up. Uh, so it was fantastic to see, and it's really good to see that actually, you know, we can do it and we're going to get great science. I mean, that's the thing, okay? So the science that you get out of James Webb is that you can see the auroras, but you can also tie that into the dynamics of what's going on in the atmosphere. So we can figure out how energy is being transported from the very high regions where the auroras are produced down into the lower uh, atmosphere. We can look at the composition of the, uh, the gases in the lower atmosphere using different spectral regions, you know, different wavelengths, and you can produce these spectral maps of Jupiter's atmosphere that reveal this 3d flow of energy from the upper atmosphere down to the deep churning cloud decks and so it's really exciting it's really cool Jupiter science but also it's wets the appetite for what we can do when we look at the other planets now you know there's uh, there's ob- observations of Neptune just being released there's going to be other planets as well I believe Uranus. And also it provides an in-depth view as to what, you know, maybe planets orbiting around other stars might look like.
0: So I suppose it's probably a good point to now just dive into uh, Aurora for a little bit. So could you just explain, just in, you know, in case people don't quite know what, what they are, we're talking, you know, on earth, we're talking about the Northern Lights. We know what they look like and they feel like, but what are, what, what creates Aurora and, and what? Why? What are we interested in them? About them in other when we look at other planets and their
1: aurora. So, aurora or the northern lights are glows in the atmosphere that are caused when charged particles in the space surrounding the planet are caused to funnel down a planet's magnetic field, and they strike the atmosphere. And when they hit the atmosphere, they excite the, the particles in the atmosphere. And those particles release that energy through the emission of of light, and so these auroras that we're, you know, where if we can get to see them on the Earth are really quite quite spectacular. But they're actually very useful because they tell us about the energetic processes that are occurring in the planet's magnetic field that have caused these particles to be fired down towards the Earth's uh, the Earth's atmosphere, and those energetic processes have important implications for, for example, the health of any astronauts in in space. Many satellites are right in the danger zone for where the radiation environment of the Earth, which is related to these kind of processes, gets really intense. And so we need to understand how this these processes work and how we can maybe uh, engineer our satellites to, to to not be exposed to the dangers of this kind of uh, radiation environment. But it also affects things like radio communications and GPS signals. And, you know, anytime you watch uh, the, the television or use your phone to, to, to figure out where you are, you know, you're using signals that are bouncing from satellites and they have passing through the ionosphere, which is very really a region of the atmosphere that's affected by these things, and that's where the auroras shine and but also you know it's affected by these processes going further up in going on further up in space so from a from a terrestrial perspective it's really important but from what's going on at the other planets well the other planets provide natural laboratories to study these processes in a very different environment so the earth is one data point as it were the other planets provide a way of looking at at these processes in very different environments. So it provides a full picture of of how space, plasmas, space, space weather behaves in different planets. Um, And in Jupiter's case, it's a very extreme environment. You know, it's the biggest magnetic field, the most powerful magnetic field, the strongest. It's on a planet that's the biggest. It's rotating fastest. The energy comes from a completely different source. The energy is not from the sun, which is this, the, the, the the energy source that ultimately drives the Earth's auroras. The energy for Jupiter is primarily the rotation of the planet, coupled with the existence of the volcanic moon Io. So it tells us how planets behave when they're driven in a completely different way. But not only that, it provides a window into studying more distant astrophysical objects that we can't get to. We can't send a spacecraft to an exoplanet, or a brown dwarf, or a white dwarf, or something that's got a magnetic field that's rotating very very quickly. So it gives us insight into how those uh, those kind of bodies behave.
0: You talked there about what sort of generates the uh, aurora on Jupiter. Um, the, the magnetosphere is is that generated in the same way that our our magnetosphere is in here on Earth
1: yeah, so a magnetosphere is the region of space which contains and is controlled by the planet's magnetic field. So if the planet has a global magnetic field, it will have a magnetosphere surrounding it. And the magnetosphere is effectively the cavity that's carved out in the solar wind. So the solar wind is flowing past all the planets at a million miles an hour, it, most of the solar wind tends to be diverted around the outside, so you've got this magnetic bubble that's that's protecting. The, p- the planet now some of the uh, of that energy actually does get and plasma particles do get in and produce the, the processes that, that drive the auroras but mostly you've got this magnetic bubble which contains plasma that is associated with the planet now so Jupiter has an extremely powerful internal magnetic field it's the it's the largest in the solar system and it produces a magnetosphere that is actually, In the the shortest dimension, it's five times bigger than the sun. Okay, So that's the largest coherent structure within the solar system, apart from the sun's magnetic field itself. And that, if you imagine Jupiter, is, is roughly, on average, five times the distance of the sun from the Earth. That's where it orbits in the solar system. So if you could see Jupiter's magnetosphere in the sky, it would appear as large as the sun or the moon in the sky. So that just gives you an idea as to how big Jupiter's magnetic field is, and it actually extends probably further than the orbit of Saturn. You know, this is a big, big structure in the solar system, and not only that, then it 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 produces the most powerful auroras. Jupiter's auroras shine probably over a thousand times brighter than, than the Earth's do, and the radio emissions that are associated with jupiter are also extremely bright if you were to look at jupiter in the radio you you see an object that is as bright as the quiet sun you know when the sun isn't bursty and and it is fairly quiet you know jupiter can shine as bright as as the sun and its radio emissions look very different as well so there's a that leads you on to think about well, you know, what can we do to a Jupiter like planet to make it even brighter so that we could possibly observe it from the other side of, you know, or not the other side of the galaxy, but certainly, you know, interstellar distances, close interstellar distances. So, it, you know, Jupiter is the link between Earth and the rest of the cosmos.
0: So, with that magnetosphere, so, so uh, am I right in saying it, it, it's a molten core? at the centre that's, that's creating this magnetic field?
1: So to produce an internal magnetic field uh, in a planet, you need um, you need a couple of things. You need a conducting l- fluid in the middle of the planet. So in the Earth's case, it's, it's iron. In Jupiter's case, it's liquid metallic hydrogen. Now, we don't really know the properties of, of liquid metallic hydrogen because we it's really difficult to produce that in a lab. So actually, you know, Jupiter is one of our best places to understand the properties. But it's it, we—it's clearly electrically conducting because it, it generates, you know, the, the, the rotation of this fluid inside of Jupiter produces electric currents that drive this enormous magnetic field. So you need a rotating fluid. You also need the, the heat to be escaping. So this fluid is not only rotating, but it's also convecting. Like, it, it, you know, if you have hot air rising above a radiator and then in the other part of the room it sinks you have to set up these convection cells that produce a stable set of electric currents that can produce a a global magnetic field and in jupiter's case it's extremely effective at producing the most powerful magnetic field in the solar system and driving all these very powerful processes
0: so that brings me then to we've talked a little bit about the aurora and then the the magnetosphere and how that Uh, what that tells us about what's going on i suppose uh, uh, to a degree at the very core of jupiter we haven't talked much about the in-between i suppose what we we kind of call i've always found it odd calling it the surface of jupiter because i always think of surfaces as hard things that you can put your tea on or (laughs) stand on But, but what if you could just give us a picture of what what the kind of makeup of sort of you know jupiter's surface and its atmosphere is like
1: Okay, well, the first thing to say is that Jupiter is a gas giant planet. It's a fundamentally different planet to the one that we're currently sitting or standing on. It doesn't have a solid surface, okay? So it means that effectively you have gas uh, in the, the, uh, the upper atmosphere and that gas gradually gets more and more dense until it eventually turns into a sort of liquid superfluid liquid kind of weird state and then eventually uh we think it just uh, produces this this liquid metallic uh, mantle of jupiter there could be a solid core in the middle of jupiter that's one of the things that jupiter is uh, juno sorry is, is looking for but even that turns out to be Not quite as simple as we were originally expecting. That sort of there seems to be a core there, but it's fuzzy and and sort of diffused into the surrounding mantle. So that's the big difference really between a gas giant and a terrestrial planet is that there's no real solid surface. So when we talk about the radius of Jupiter, what we're talking about is some defined pressure level that we all agree is the outer boundary of, of of Jupiter. And that is the pressure effectively at the same pressure that it's in this room at the moment. So when we talk about the the Jovian radius, we we usually talk about the one bar pressure level. And so the atmosphere is then, the weather layer is above that, and that's where the the, the clouds are and the aurora and things like that. Below that, you have um, uh, effectively increasing pressure, increasing temperature, uh, and you get into this, Weird electrically conducting kind of uh, kind of state.
0: So that brings me nicely to my next question, which is: there's some pretty uh, wild weather on Jupiter. Uh, obviously, there's the iconic giant red spot, the Great Red Spot. Sorry. Can you just sort of, f- from a perhaps from a human perspective, uh, what 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 are these storms like compared to, say, something here, that we would experience here on Earth?
1: OK, so the first difference really is, is the scale of these things. I mean, when you look at a picture of Jupiter, you see something that looks superficially like the, the storms that we might see, uh, you know, in the equatorial regions or, you know, or even, even here uh, on the Earth. But, but actually, these things are, are huge. They're enormous. The Great Red Spot would swallow the Earth. It's a, a huge um, anticyclone. Uh, It's very tall, so when you look at the James Webb images, it appears very bright. That's because the top of it is really high in the atmosphere, but it also has very deep roots. It goes really deep down into into the atmosphere. So uh, these are extremely large storms, and one of the reasons why it's interesting to study Jupiter is that the weather systems are not disrupted by pesky land. And so land gets in the way and disrupts the, the, the formation of hurricanes in the Atlantic, for example, and causes the tracks to divert around. Well, you don't have any of that in, uh, on Jupiter. So it gives the atmospheric dynamics uh, researchers a really good laboratory for studying how their their models work. And if they can make things on work on Jupiter, then it means that you know they, they, they really have things. Uh, they really have their understanding correct. So these winds are extremely violent. They they can they can flow extremely fast, but also you know these these things are extremely big. So if you were to be a- if you were able to float in a balloon in Jupiter's atmosphere, uh, you would see storms that disappear off into both horizons, and uh, it would be an absolutely awesome. View and you would see towering uh, clouds towering above the main cloud deck. And in fact, there are three cloud decks on Jupiter, not just one. Just like any anything else about Jupiter, it's the best. It has the most. You know, it's uh, uh, it is supersized You know, these these things are impressive. And
0: you, you talked earlier about sort of Jupiter's significance. You know, why why we do find it so interesting in part because it it kind of helps us. You know, look look beyond. Our solar system into other galaxies and and find ways to study them. But I just, what are the significance of gas giants generally? They seem to be quite important in uh, particularly understanding solar system formation. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So the gas giants are really important because they formed further out in the solar system than the terrestrial planets. Because, and we know that because. They've got more material there. There was more uh, mass to attract all the dust and gas around in the uh, in the protoplanetary nebula. Um, and in fact, Jupiter is fundamental to this story because Jupiter is the largest planet. It was it formed first. Okay, so it formed uh, it, the formation of Jupiter then influenced the formation of all the other planets around. Okay, so it was able to grab most uh, of the of the dust and gas that was available, and then influenced everything else. So the story of the formation of Jupiter is the story of the formation of the solar system, and then by implication, the story of the formation of the Earth and and therefore us. And not only did it uh, influence the, the planets around Jupiter, but also it it will have played an extremely important role in the evolution of the planets. There are ideas about. Jupiter destabilizing objects in its vicinity and sending comets and various other uh, objects in towards the the inner planets. There is an idea that that Jupiter was implicit in the uh, the fact that we've got water on the Earth. Uh, This is an idea that has been looked at uh, in more depth recently. But you know, the formation of these gas giants and the subsequent evolution of the solar system is really important in understanding our own place in the cosmos. So it's not just a case of, you know, it being the biggest and the best. It's also a case of it actually being fundamentally important to our understanding of 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 our place.
0: Last couple of questions. Um one of them is about Gino. So Juno is an incredible mission to go out to Jupiter and answer a lot of these questions that we still have about Jupiter. Information: What's going on its core, its magnetosphere? I just wondered if you give us a sense of what we've learned as this this craft has been orbiting Jupiter for something like is it six years now, and it's done a, a number of orbits.
1: Yeah, so Juno is it was spent to Ju- sent to Jupiter specifically to answer some of these questions about the story of the formation of Jupiter, uh, what its core is like. Uh, and things like that. And the reason is, is because the, 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 the core of Jupiter and the composition of Jupiter are effectively predicted by different formation models. So we can we can determine whether there's a core accretion model or, or the model. And of course, it turns out that Jupiter is more complicated than we uh, were initially thinking. You know, the idea was to look to see whether Jupiter has a core or not. Well, it turns out it's sort of in between. It does have a core, but it's really fuzzy. And so that's still being worked on and the implications of that are still being uh, Being worked out, the nature of the atmosphere. Juno is looking for the water on on Jupiter. Now, of course, we've had one probe that went into the atmosphere of Jupiter, the Galileo probe, uh, which specifically was was looking for 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 water. But it it turned out it probably went into a really dry spot. The the amount of water that it, it found was was very low compared to what models were predicting. And so, one of Jupiter's goals is to find out actually how much water there is, you know, and that then, again, influences where Jupiter formed in the solar system, you know, the distance from the the sun. Those are still actually, uh, although a lot of progress has been made, they're still ongoing because Juno's mission is a mapping mission, okay? It's got to look at all longitudes around the planet in order to build up a global picture in order to find out how much water there is, for example, on, on, on Jupiter. So that work is, is still uh, ongoing and uh, there have been some extremely um, uh, interesting results. You know, the, the water is there. Juno has found uh, the water. It has been able to put a number on that. It's been able to look at the magnetic field and how how lumpy the magnetic field is. So that again tells you the nature of the Jovian interior. If the magnetic field is very lumpy, then it tells you the, the some of the magnetic field is being generated by electric currents that are flowing near the surface. Um, and that tells you how conductive the atmosphere is, or the or the, 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 the outer part of Jupiter's uh, interior is. And, and it was much more lumpy than we expected. So that is, that's a, a major result of, uh, of the Juno mission. Now, from my own perspective, one of the interesting things was that when we looked, we thought we had an idea as to about what produced Jupiter's auroras. Okay? We thought it was due to the planet rotating very rapidly. Uh, it's, uh, you've got the, uh, this inner moon uh, Io, which is extremely volcanic, and that's, produ- that's outputting sulfur dioxide into the space surrounding Jupiter at the, at the rate of one tonne per second. Uh, and it's this material that's been feels the, the, the rotation of jupiter's magnetic field and then being propelled outwards that produces the this aurora now um, when we looked for the signatures of that when jupiter uh, when juno sorry originally arrived at jupiter the signatures weren't immediately obvious in the data and that's led to five years' worth of debate about where, is the, where are the auroras, how do they relate to these signatures, where are these particles that are producing, that we think should be producing the auroras, it turns out the, sit- the situation is extremely complicated. The electrons weren't barreling down where we thought they should be, we didn't always see the magnetic signatures of currents, and so there's been a lot of head scratching and, you know, uh, do we need to throw all everything that we understand about Jupiter out the window? Well, um, recently, uh, I've done some work looking at comparing Jupiter's magnetic field signatures further out in the magnetic field with images of the auroras that we took using the Hubble Space Telescope, and we've been able to compare the two and show that actually there is a relationship between the electric currents that are flowing in the system and the brightness of the aurora, to a very, very strong relationship, in fact. And so... It turns out, I think that our ideas are probably right overall, but we actually need to understand what's going on in between. We still don't quite understand and be able to relate that to how, you know, the actual observations over the pole. So although Juno has been an extremely successful mission, it's it's upended a lot of our understanding about Jupiter, um, but it's also given us a whole bunch of things to study during the extended mission which is currently ongoing and and will hopefully provide great data for the next few years.
0: And then just lastly, i just just uh, curious, will, will you be out in the garden this weekend uh, with your binoculars or a telescope, or is that a bit too much like uh, work at the weekend?
1: Uh, no, I love it. I've got... Uh... I've got my uh, my two young kids uh, out looking at the night sky. We uh, we look at obviously Jupiter is the best thing to look at, you know, but we look all at all the rest of the sky, and and it's a really uh, exciting thing to do with the family. So you know, especially when you've got events like Jupiter being very bright, you know, I I do like to go out and and have a look, and I encourage everybody to do so. It's great to get out and look up. That
0: was dr jonathan nichols there an associate professor at the university of leicester who studies planetary aurora jupiter will be in opposition on monday but there'll be great views of the planet all weekend if you want to learn how to spot jupiter for yourself visit sciencefocus.com forward slash space forward slash jupiter hyphen in hyphen opposition and of course do follow us on twitter or instagram To see the incredible images that will no doubt pour out of this event. Thank you for listening. The Instant Genius podcast is brought to you by the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine, which you can find on sale now in supermarkets and newsagents, as well as on your preferred app store. Alternatively, do come find us online at sciencefocus.com.